and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 15. Today is April 13th, 2014. My name is Sebastien Couture. I'm a user experience designer and developer based in Lille, France, and I'm also the founder of Bitcoin Talks Lille. And I'm Brian Fabian Cohen. I'm a Bitcoin-based uh, Bitcoin entrepreneur, kind of uh, there, and also the founder of the Bitcoin Star Spilling Group. And we're joined by a very special guest today, Joel Hampton. Joel Hampton. I'm a uh, entrepreneur. Uh, it's uh, also involved in Bitcoin. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no, it's great having you. Uh, we met before uh, last, at kind of towards the end of last year, when uh, at the Berlin Meetup Group, and uh, you were about to move to Australia at the time and work on Bitcoin there. So it's like, let's have you yeah, on, and hear what's been going on, how you've been enjoying Australia, and uh, what's up with your project. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, so uh, I, I, since then, I, uh, I've actually rebranded a, com- a couple times, and we're we're known as Spender now. Uh, what Spender is is, uh, I guess you would say, just another directory, but we don't like to think of it that way. Uh, we're heavily focused on user reviews and actually knowing who are the good merchants and who aren't the good merchants. Oh, so we sh- yeah, yeah. So hopefully, we should be launching in uh, just a couple weeks here, about two weeks, and. Uh, uh, right now, people can't sign up if they'd like to at uh, spender.io. Uh, and just that's give us your email address. Uh, without the E, right? So spender, uh, dropping the last E. So S-P-E-N-D-R.io. That is correct. Yeah, we're uh, we're running on that that uh, Silicon Valley Tumblr train, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. Makes for cheaper domain the, names. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, it makes you hip, right? And uh, that way you don't have to fight over whoever has the .com either. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I find it very interesting that you kind of focus on that abuse aspect with Spender. What's, I mean, I guess uh, kind of being in the Bitcoin world, it's, it's quite obvious that there is a lot of abuse. But what maybe can you, can you talk a bit more about that and how you came to focus on that? Well, I think a lot of it came from using coin maps, which I, I know we've all used coinmaps.org and, uh, and it, you know, they are the pioneer site and they were definitely uh, the first one out there. And I, we, we got a lot of love for them because, because they're, uh, they're, they're doing things okay, but, but things weren't great. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of entries in there that just weren't valid and it didn't seem like there was a really easy way to, to tag those as invalid and get them off of there. Uh, not to mention, uh, just, you don't know if someone is good or not. You know, there was, there was nowhere to really tell. Uh, even if it was just online websites, uh, if people were having a lot of success with them or if, uh, if they were having issues. So it yeah. was, uh, just seemed like a, a need that needed to be filled and, uh, we felt like we'd step up. And I guess what's interesting though is because when we talk about Bitcoin, there are no chargebacks, right? So if, if you use PayPal somewhere else, in a sense, you feel like, okay, uh, the payment processor takes care of me because if the site's a fraud, I can go through them, get my money back. But with Bitcoin, obviously that's not the case. So I think I can see that there's like really much more of a need for something like this in this area than in some other area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of times it's also faceless too. So, uh, it, it's kind of nice to, to be able to see the success rates without necessarily having to attach names to everything. Yeah. And how is this going to work? So is it, is it like user reviews or? Yeah, a lot of it's going to be user reviews. Uh, we plan to also, uh, procure other content from, from other venues, uh, be it, uh, 
other people that blogging sites, uh, Reddit, things like that. Um, Podcasts. And constantly, constantly be updating uh, everything we can. You know. Cool. And what, so you say it's launching in a few weeks. Um, yeah, should launch in a few weeks. We're uh, we're in beta right now, and uh, uh, if you guys would like, uh, it, there is a, uh, a email sign up on our website. Uh, if you anybody wants to sign up and and help us uh, beta test, that'd be great too. I, I'm signed up. Yeah, machine, yeah too. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you will see your email tomorrow. Absolutely, Brian. Cool. And so you're based in Australia. Uh, what's the uh, reasoning behind that? Um, well, currently Australia, I, I guess I'm, I'm, uh, right now I'm living off Bitcoin, uh, and kind of seeing the world while I venture into my first web startup. Um, I have an IT background and, uh, I did get a, a fairly early start in Bitcoin. Not as, as early as I would have liked for sure. Or as I, I think everybody would say that, but, uh, it's been nice to kind of see the world. Uh, I was living in Munich, Germany before this for about six months. Um, kind of seeing Europe, but my background is, uh, I'm American, you know, and, and I, I lived in San Francisco for seven years before that. So, but yeah, no, no, no real reason for Sydney other than, uh, uh, it seemed like a, a good place to be. And cool. yeah, there's a lot of a great Bitcoin community here right now. And they, uh, um, they, they probably not quite as good as Berlin <laughs> from what I saw. I, I'm just kidding <laughs> for anybody from Sydney that's listening. I love you guys, but, uh, no, it's, uh, it's it's great out here. It's, it's they have a good Bitcoin presence. And just uh, are there, yeah, yeah. Before I was going to ask, um, are you by yourself on this, or you have associates? No, I have a, a co-founder. Actually, uh, my co-founder is uh, actually my girlfriend. Um, she is a uh, a designer from Frog uh, Design, cool. and she's kind of handling the whole uh, user flow and, and trying to make it really painless for people to. Uh, to sign up and, and update and do all the all the user experience. Okay, is she working on this full time too? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both working on this full time right okay, now. Okay, yeah. cool. Awesome. That's, that's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. So, what's your business model with this? Like, where do you think this is going to go? You know, I mean, that's always the first thing everybody asks is how do you how do you monetize? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think we're as concerned with monetization at the moment. Um, I mean, there's of course other people uh, similar like Yelp or people that are. You know, advertisements from, uh, from businesses, um, things like that. But that's not where our concern is immediately. I think right now we're, we're more trying to get back to the community and put something out there that's needed. So, um, I, I think if you can get the users to come, the monetization will follow it afterwards. Yeah. That seems to be the motivation for a lot of Bitcoin startups, uh, from people that we've, we've talked to is, you know, this, this is something we need. And rather yes. than this is something that we want to make money on, but uh, ultimately you have to make money if you want to live off of it. I think, but um, <laughs> but I think that's a good approach, you know, to have this kind of like um, let's build it, and if it's needed, people will come. Yep, absolutely. And that's yeah. kind of what the angle we're taking. So yeah, awesome. And what's the so what's the uh, Bitcoin community like in uh, Australia and where you're at in Sydney? Um, it's great. You know, they uh, uh, there's <laughs> been quite a few uh, ATMs launching. Um, uh, with a, a few launch events happening with those. Um, we just held a Bitcoin uh, bar camp that was really neat with a lot of people doing various uh, talks on uh, everything technical, I, I should say from beginner to expert. Um, oh, cool. And was that like a, a one-day event? Uh, it was one-day event, yep. Uh, how, uh, one of the major people? sponsors was Coinjar. Did you guys have? Uh, I believe the attendance was about 160 people. That's pretty that cool. I think, yeah, we need to do something like that here in Berlin too. 
Yeah, it was it was a neat event, you know, and it, it was. Uh, I don't know if you're completely familiar with the bar camp format, but none of yeah, the talks. Yeah, I, I know it. Yeah, it's yeah. It was, it was neat to have none of the talks planned, and for people to just show up and say, "Hey, here's what I'm talking about," you know, giving my time slot, and then seeing who wanted to attend and, and see what. <laughs> I actually got. Uh, I, I ended up losing. Uh, so last Oktoberfest, when I was in Munich, uh, I had a little too much fun at Oktoberfest, and I broke my Nexus Four phone. Um, it had a, about a Bitcoin and a half on it at the time. And while that was going on, it wasn't worth too much. Uh, funny enough, that broken phone became a, worth a whole lot more as time went on. Um, I think at the highlight of the phone, what it was worth about almost $2,000, I think, something like that. The, the neat thing about the bear camp uh, is someone was talking about wallet security and just how, I guess, uh, non-secure the uh, standard Android wallet was. Uh, and just from hearing, are you talk, talking about uh, the Andreas Schilpach's wallet? Uh, yes, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Android uh, Bitcoin for Android wallet. Yeah, just the 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 Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, which yeah, the, yeah. The, yep, yep, for Android. And the wallet itself is fairly insecure. Um, it's it's unencrypted on the phone. Uh, so the neat thing about that, and I, I didn't realize that um, from getting the tips from the the speaker. Um, Andrew, I was able to recover those bitcoins uh, about two days after the the conference. Cool, which was cool. Really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I got about a bitcoin and a half back, so it, I actually got paid to go to the conference. I like to look at it, so that was really, really nice. That's interesting that you mentioned that because I had an, uh, an ex- a similar experience this week that we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes. Well, let's talk about it now. No, you lost your phone. Uh, didn't lose oh, it. it. I got stolen. stolen. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So Friday night, I was out with some friends and just standing on the sidewalk in front of a bar, and I had I had a Nexus Five, which was pretty new i got it in november sitting in my back pocket and i guess it was kind of sticking out and somebody just came up and and, and took it and didn't notice until about maybe 10 seconds later it it didn't take long like i had just arrived there and was standing there and somebody took it so um my initial reaction was to kind of not panic uh but then i did something that I don't know if I should, like now in retrospect, I don't know if I should have done it, but which was um, wipe the phone. So uh, I was able to wipe the phone using somebody else's phone and logging into my Google account and everything and, uh, and, and wiping it from a distance. So mm-hmm. after, after I'd done that, uh, I was quite real. I mean, I, I guess I was a little relieved that uh, my data wouldn't be used uh, or my passwords or anything like that. I mean, I had a, I had a, uh, a password to unlock the device. So I suppose I, I would have felt safe in not um, wiping it and being able to um, just kind of like maybe see where the phone was was going. Yeah. Um, but in any case, so um, the next day, <clears throat> the next day I... Uh, started changing my passwords mm-hmm. and forgot, kind of forgot that I had cryptocurrency on there. So I had maybe like, I don't know, 70 mil bits. And then I had some Dogecoin and like five or six Litecoin, like in total, maybe like 150 euros. So like $200 perhaps. And I had backups for all of them uh, in my Google drive. Good. And, and it was just last night, like I was coming home, we were out all day and I said, shit, I got to get my, I gotta, you know, get all my 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 bitcoins back, uh, my crypto 
currency back. So luckily, uh, my girlfriend's got a Nexus tablet, so I was able to just kind of install all the wallets on there, mm-hmm. um, sweep the wallets, and and so n- none of the none of the, the coins were gone. Uh, I guess probably because the device had been wiped. But when I was doing it, I guess the the thing is, like, we don't have a plan for these kind of things, right? Um, we don't have a plan for the day my wallet, my phone gets stolen. So this goes for, like, cryptocurrencies have, being on the phone, but also just, like, for passwords and stuff. Like, I have LastPass. Everything's in LastPass. So um, that's easy to recover. But I guess uh, when I was doing it, my question was, like, where am I going to put these? I've got, like, five or six different cryptocurrencies on there. I don't have uh, the all the QT clients installed on my um on my computer, I, I didn't really know where to put them. I, I didn't want to put them on paper wallets because those are kind of a pain to to uh, to use later. Like if I wanted to get the money off, uh, yeah. especially for some like for like Dogecoin, like I, I didn't really know how it would go about that. So, so the whole thing, like I was just the the coins were still on there, and I was thinking to myself, like where where do I put them? Yeah, no, I think it's a uh, it's. You know, I, I can weigh in as well here with yeah. another story that sounds a lot like that because my computer broke just uh, two weeks ago mm-hmm. and uh, because I spilled some liquid on it, it's highly annoying. And uh, I also had, you know, my, well, actually I have, no, mostly I have, I have, I bought this really cheap separate uh, web book, uh, what do you call them? Netbook. Netbook, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I have Armory on there, and I had like a watch-only Armory on my computer, but I also had some some other coins in Multibit, for example, here. And then I have I have that backed up to the cloud, but you know now I'm so so I, there there is the recovery plan. But I think it's I guess the main message here is if you own Bitcoin and you need to have a recovery plan because these things are going to happen. Absolutely. And you're going to yeah. either lose your computer, your phone's going to be stolen, someone could hack into it, etc. So super important to have a backups, preferably multiple backups, preferably some kind of paper backup. So if you have Army, of course, it's easy to have the, the seed as a backup. Mm-hmm. Um, I Also, I know, for example, I mean, I didn't realize that the Android Bitcoin wallet wasn't... Uh, wasn't encrypted on the phone. You can do backups of that though. So the backups are so the backups are encrypted. The backups uh, are encrypted, but yeah. not on the disk, I guess. Not on the disk, but I don't think that you can actually access the data just by plugging it in. I think it's on a separate kind of partition. That's no. And I, my I, phone was was already rooted, which uh-huh. is good. So okay. I was able to, to ADB into the actual phone itself. Right. What it, what had happened to my phone is the the screen had cracked. So. I could still actually even see the screen, but I couldn't touch anything. My uh-huh. digitizer was broken. I mean, I, I had always known I was going to get the Bitcoins back. It's not like yeah. I had the phone stolen or the, that it had actually crashed, like the memory crashed. You know, I, I just basically lost the screen and I knew that at some point I would just fix the screen and, uh-huh. uh, and get the Bitcoins back. It was kind of nice not to have to fix the screen. Uh, since I actually changed my wallet though, I no longer, now I, I, I've gone with, uh, my, mycelium. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm really happy with that wallet. Um, it's been really good, and it does provide me with a seed. So just in case uh, something does happen again, I do have a paper backup now, and I don't really need to worry about what's yeah. on it. 
you know. I mean, I I know for the Android wallet, he's also working on uh, HD wallets, so I think they will come. But yeah. I guess it it will be some time until that's implemented. Yeah, I guess. The, so the question is, um, what's your back? What's your recovery plan? Because we all have, you know, we all have this backup plan. So you know, you you back up your wallet, you've got your seed, you've got your paper wallet, etc. But no, really, no one really has a, a recovery plan. And when I was th- when I was doing this, I was thinking to myself, it, it, it would be awesome if you could just take your wallet backup files put them in this service or whatever and it sweeps them and puts them on paper wallets for you or puts them on this online so i just put them on cripsy uh because that was the easiest thing to do for now like until i take care of it in the next few days so i just want to get them off there i know it's not a good practice to keep coins on an exchange but it's just for a few days and i don't have very much but um it, it would be nice to be able to and maybe this is something that somebody is going to develop in the future Import all your backups, and that just sweeps them and put the, puts them on paper wallets for you, so you can just get it done quickly. And but then and you have, have to, to trust them. that service. Uh, obviously, yeah. I mean, it could be a service or software or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, maybe like an open source solution. Um, yeah. And right now with Mycelium, I do have a piece of paper, or it's actually a PDF that uh, if I do lose my wallet again, I mm-hmm. uh, can load Mycelium, scan the the QR, and then put in the passcode that I've created. It's a what is it? I believe uh, five sets of uh, five characters. I believe yeah. off the top of my head, I might mm-hmm. be saying that wrong. Uh, so I, 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 I should really test that though. That's what it comes down to. I mean, even having what I think yeah, is a disaster yeah. recovery plan without having tested it, it's probably just a disaster waiting to happen. I, I did that so. once because I had multibit. So I before I did the whole army thing, which took me a while to set up. Uh, so before that, I had multibit. I had it, you know, encrypted on my computer, but of course it could still be a keylogger. I could use the computer, etc. And I had a backblaze, so the a cloud backup. And I did actually uh, test that in terms of that I, you know, deleted the wallet file. I went there, downloaded the, the wallet of that file, um, and imported it again. It worked. So, but it, it was, um, yeah, I think it's definitely something one should do. Yeah. Just run 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 through those scenarios, test it out, and make sure that you are backed up and you are. Well, and with my bitcoins, I, I treat them, uh, or I should say, I treat myself kind of like an exchange. I mean, you know, uh, when I talk about mycelium, that's only a very small amount of bitcoins that I, I keep on me for spending when I'm when I'm out at anywhere that accepts bitcoin. Um, you know, that's not where the bulk of my coins are kept. I, I always prefer to keep those more in a cold storage type offline. Uh, actually used a Raspberry Pi with uh, Armory okay. to create a yeah, yeah. cold yeah, storage wallet. And yeah, and then and keep them there. Uh, that seems the safest, but definitely not the most convenient. You know, mm. so it's it's this trade off that I know my mom wouldn't do that. You know, I mean, I know that <laughs> this is something that's a little more advanced. That if we want to go mainstream, uh, that's something that's going to have to be shined up and polished. Mm. I yeah, I'm actually going to give a talk very soon about. Uh, an offline storage system that I think is really, really simple to use at the next meetup here. And uh, we're going to talk about it on the show as well. Uh, so yeah. I, I think I finally found something that does work for, you know, quote unquote, relatively, you know, people who don't have any technical background for offline storage. Um, yeah, well, one other thing I learned about, about this experience is that um, when you have good security, you're so you have peace of mind, but getting yourself outside of like unknotting that security 
to uh, have like re-implementing it, I guess, is is very complex. So I had LastPass. Uh, I also had uh, two-factor authentication on a lot of stuff. And luckily, I had kept all of the two-factor auth um, like backups and even like the, the, the URL that's in the QR code when you initiate two-factor auth. I've kept those um, kind of stored so that I could easily kind of reinitiate the two-factor auth. But now, like having to change all the passwords because obviously like all my passwords are different and long 20-character passwords and having to like reinitiate two-factor auth and all these services like so it's, it's very secure i feel very confident that none of my data on the phone is going to be compromised or that my passwords are safe and stuff but i still want to like redo all of that and that's that's really a pain like the night when i was um when i was standing on the sidewalk the first thing i did was sign into my google account to uh to uh to to, to wipe the phone well just there it took me like 10 minutes because i had to sign into my last pass uh, then sign into Google, use a, a, a backup um, two-factor auth key. Like right, right there, I lost like 10, 15 minutes of time just trying to log into my account, right? So when you have good security, it, it can also be uh, – it can also make it difficult for even yourself to uh, react yeah, quickly no, in situations absolutely. like this. So, Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah, I, I so guess it's it. better to have a little. Let's say it's a little. It's, it's a little better to have some drama when you get in the second time than it is uh, losing all of your coins, though. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it, there's definitely some room for improvement, and that's uh, a job for someone somewhere, I guess. Probably <laughs> not me, but yeah. yeah. Sebastian, you had your meetup this week as well, no? You texted me about it, and it sounded like it was a very exciting event. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a <laughs> an up-and-down week. I had a really high point on Thursday and then a really low point on Friday when I got my phone stolen. But anyway, um, so we had our third meetup on Wednesday – or Thursday, rather. And it was a really exciting event because uh, – so the, the, the meetup had been announced as sort of an introduction, a general introduction to Bitcoin – uh, we wanted to really kind of um, target newcomers. Uh, I had even told all the members of the meetup, people that regularly come to bring someone who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin. And I also uh, had gotten in touch with uh, some local media here. So uh, there's a, a, a newspaper that gets published every day and like is distributed in, uh, in subway stations and stuff. Uh, it's called 20 Minutes. Uh, Europeans will know it. And I had a an article on the second page of Wednesday's 20 Minutes. So uh, that really created a lot of interest, I think, and uh, brought a lot of people into the meetup. So uh, I, I did a, a general presentation about Bitcoin and kind of outlining my views about where it's going. Not really, kind of not really to explain the technical side of it, but really the kind of the vision of Bitcoin and where it can take society. And uh, we were really fortunate to have uh, Philippe Rodriguez, who you may have heard on our uh, Berlin conference episodes. He's the president of the French Bitcoin Association. He came from Paris and did a. And did a talk uh, to uh, just kind of explain the French Bitcoin Association, what they do, what their missions are, etc. Uh, so that was really great. And he was <laughs> he was on a, like he had a, a train to go back to Paris at nine twenty, and here he is at nine at ten after nine, still answering questions. And I'm there. I'm like behind him. I'm like, oh, um, Phil, you're you're going to miss your train. He's like, 
it's okay. It's okay. Uh, one more question. Like he was so into it. And then he, he actually ended up missing his train and having to stay a night uh, at the, at, uh, at a hotel. So <laughs> props to him for, for coming down and being such a, um, yeah, for, for really giving it us until the end. And, um, and then we had another talk where just two members of the, uh, of the meetup, uh, explained wallets and, you know, the different types of wallets that you can have. So, you know, online wallet or uh, wallet on your cell phone talking about mycelium talking about the android shield back wallet so yeah it was a great event and i think this is going to take uh kind of uh, we, we got a lot of we, we were noticed obviously because of the uh, the article in the paper and then like the following day i started getting tweets from um kind of the tech uh, clusters here uh, we've got a few startup clusters and incubators and they want to do a conference and uh, so yeah Lots of things happening in Lille. Cool. Yeah, we also had a meetup, which was the 10th this week, actually. I just realized. So it's exciting. Same day. I think our meetups always line no, up. No, <laughs> ours was on Tuesday. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday. Uh, that wasn't the 10th. That was the 8th. No, but it was the 10th or 10th meetup. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, yeah, it's like, it's cool. And uh, funnily, we also had a talk about the uh, German Bitcoin Foundation. There was actually the yearly meetup yesterday. I was planning to go, but it's Frankfurt and it was just like, didn't have time. Um, yeah. yeah, we need to get all these foundations uh, linked up together. So Philippe is going to London soon to meet with uh, the the uh, British uh, Digital Currency yeah, Foundation. I know those guys. Yeah. yeah, so um, the French and, and, and British foundations are meeting. Uh, we okay. need to get the German, the Germans in there yeah, too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know they're all the German guys, so I can connect. I can connect Philippe and the uh, English guys with them. Yeah. Um, and we had this really cool app, uh, this really cool Dogecoin app. <laughs> um, I will talk about it when it's out because it's it's not on the Android Play Store yet, uh, but it's it's super cool. I think I think it actually has a chance to have like a really you know, resonate a lot with the Dogecoin community. Cool. So we'll talk about that when it comes up. All right. Um, well, let's launch on our first topic. And I think it kind of touches on um, a bit uh, what you're doing with Spender, Joel, and which mm-hmm. is the kind of Neo and B story. Uh, we've talked about this before a while ago. I remember hearing about uh, their plans on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast maybe last August or something. And then I was at the conference in Amsterdam and uh, Danny Brewster, the CEO of the company or ex-CEO, he was going to talk there. I wanted to see it, although I ended up missing it. Um, and so the, just a very brief background. Neon B is this company in Cyprus that tried to put on this kind of Bitcoin bank. That was the idea. So they would actually have physical branches. You could have accounts with them. They would have a point of sale system. So you, you'd get like a Neo and B a debit card and you could go to the grocery store and pay with that card. And, you know, your Bitcoins would get uh, deducted automatically. And uh, they also wanted to have like Euro linked accounts and things like that. And they had this big advertising campaign where they, got, uh, you know, made these fancy, expensive commercials, put them on the Cypriotic TV. There was a lot of buzz around it. They were also trading their stock on uh, this uh, share exchange called Havelock. So it's kind of a, 
I would say gray, maybe not quite legal, but uh, functional exchange where you can trade stock of uh, cryptocurrency companies. So they're trading there. I think they raised quite a lot of money there too. Yeah, I almost, I almost, and, I was going to say, I almost yeah. got caught into that hype. Uh, you know, with, with Havelock, I uh, was looking into uh, Neo B and, and thought about jumping onto that uh, quote unquote pre IPO. I don't know if anything is truly IPO on Havelock, but yeah, uh, yeah, there was a lot of hype behind them. Yeah, there was a lot of hype. And basically, now what's happened is apparently the guy has left the country, he has dumped all his stock. People, some some people in Cyprus, they tried to buy or they gave Neo and B money to receive bitcoins in return, and uh, they never saw their money again, nor did they see the bitcoins. And uh, so it looks a lot like there's some kind of fraud involved here, and maybe the guy just took the money and ran away. I think the employees of Neo and B supposedly they don't even know what's going on and I think they stopped coming to the office and it sounds like total chaos. So yeah. Well anytime anytime you hear this, uh, I always get a little concerned. You know, th- this goes back to uh regulation and obviously when you're talking about regulation, uh with me, my mind always wanders to the US side, even though uh this is so much larger and I mean by all means, this is Cyprus, and, and it would almost be have to be some sort of regulation in Cyprus. Um, and I, I'm not necessarily for or against regulation, uh, but you know, this is whenever you hear something like Mount Gox or Neo and B or any of the large ones that take a large sum of money and and just run off. Um, it, it's you got to be a little careful. Like I say, I almost got caught. Uh, I almost jumped on to uh, that Havelock investment and trying to. Throw you know a Bitcoin or so over there, nothing major, you know, not that uh, it was going to be the death of me, but uh, it's too bad there's not something out there. And this is kind of why with Spender, I want to have a site that everybody can you know come together and say, hey, this has been good. Hey, this hasn't been bad. Hey, this person that's behind this is amazing, and they have this track record. I think uh, yeah. Ethereum guys, uh, you know, I, I do uh, Ethereum. I, I actually have a little more faith in right now than some of the other things, just because of the team behind it, and they they do have somewhat of a track record already, and it's not just some random name that pops up in the media and yeah, has a really totally good story. Agree. So uh, yeah, no, I, I hope to centralize kind of people talking about other people to a degree, you know, and, and reputation management almost, you know, in, in some sort of way. I like that. The reputation management is, is exactly what, what we need. And this, this sort of story, like, I don't know if, uh, if this guy was very well known, uh, this, uh, Danny Brewster, uh, I, I mean, the Neo and B thing was, was quite oh, well yeah, known yeah, but, and talked but, about. And, and that had been, Sort of been worked on for a while, at least seven, eight months, I think. Um, no, but I mean, so- this guy, like, it, was he reputable or could he be trusted? Like, if you take, yeah. for example, like, I want to take the other example, which is Mt. Gox. Not that I want to talk about Mt. Gox for an hour, but it's a great example. If, if you if you take the Mt. Gox example, I think that with Mark Carpellis, we had every indication to believe that he was. Uh, an irresponsible, negligent character, whether or not he did this deliberately or not. I mean, that's besides the point. But I mean, just reading his blog and kind of um, the work that the daily dailytech.com did um, uh, going through all the posts that he did over the last few years and, and painting the portrait of this of his character. So 
for something like Mount Gox, I think there, there we had sufficient um, – the alarms had went – should have went off earlier. Now, for something like this where it seems – to me, it seemed to me like it was legitimate. I mean, how could we have known that uh, that he would take off with the money? Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe he is an honest guy. Maybe he just left because of threats, or you know, some people are saying that. Uh, so he said in a Bitcoin talk I, forum post that he was threatened. Maybe this is just circumstances. Like who knows? Like I, not. I don't buy that. No. But uh, let, let's. So to be quite honest, you know, I, I was reading about B and I was a bit like Joel. I was like, oh, this is actually exciting. I think uh, we talked about it very positively on the show. Yeah, yeah. We were super and excited about I it. I think going back, I do think there are some really clear uh, alarm signs. And uh, one is their business model. And so their business model was, you know, they were going to do their payment system for free. They were going to give these point of sale terminals for the merchants uh, for free for the first year and afterwards charge them rent. Um, and they, they plan to do mon- make money by uh, have basically. So let's say I put in a thousand euros into Neon B and I would have a euro linked Bitcoin account. So what does that mean? That means they would always keep a thousand euros worth of Bitcoin in my account. Now, if the Bitcoin price goes up, they can decrease the amount of Bitcoin. If the Bitcoin price goes down, they have to put in more Bitcoin. So the way they plan to make money was actually purely by uh, speculating on a price increase. So they were going to take that currency risk. And of course, if the Bitcoin price doubled, well, they made a ton of money. If the Bitcoin price went down, they could lose a huge amount of money. So that was part of their business model, which is just extremely irresponsible business model, if you think about it. Uh, but I guess sometimes you yeah, don't see it clearly enough. I certainly, you know, when afterwards someone pointed out, it's like, it's just, just obviously uh, not a good idea to operate a business like this. Yeah, because it's purely speculative. It's just purely uh, a leveraged speculation on the Bitcoin price. I mean, of course, they never even went that far. Because um, I guess the guy took off his money before, or something happened, and maybe it was stolen. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's also perhaps important to notice that they were mm, pretty sparse on details about their service. Like on the website, it didn't say very much. Uh, the, for example, the um, TV commercials were devoid of any information. But yeah. Yeah, there was very little information on the website. That's one of the things that slowed me down. Uh, is is that uh, vaporware has been around for years? It's not just a Bitcoin thing, you know. It's it's you know, and being in the technology uh, industry as long as I have, Lord knows I've seen my share of vaporware, and uh, I think that's kind of what stopped me from from actually going and, and pulling the trigger at Havelock Investments. You know, uh, was there was something too good to be true? Um, have you guys seen the new uh, Cryptex card? That, have you guys read about this? Uh, there was an article recently that's talking about uh, it's an ATM card, mainly I think for use in the uh, in the US. It was going to I've be heard used. of it. Can you talk yeah, some more it, about it though? Well, one of the neat things, or, or not neat, I guess it kind of depends, is it allows you to take Bitcoin and deposit them into account uh, that's immediately converted to US dollars, which makes it a little more sense. I mean, these guys are kind of an exchange that. Uh, you immediately send some funding to the card. You say, Hey, 
you know, I, I, I tend to have a, 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 the majority of my money is in Bitcoin and not U.S. dollars just because I have so much faith in the U.S. economy uh, right now. And so it's kind of nice to say, hey, I'm going to need X amount of dollars for spending money this month um, rather than using gift, you know, and, and buying a bunch of gift certificates or uh, or going to Bitstamp or going over to uh, whichever exchange and selling the coins and then doing a wire transfer over to my bank account, you know, so I can actually go to an ATM machine and pull out cash. Uh, this will be an ATM card that I can just wire some bitcoins directly to uh, my card, which is kind of like uh, it's almost as if like a, a Bitstamp or a, a, your favorite exchange of choice had an ATM card and you were able to just say sell and then immediately go to an ATM machine because it's on the same financial network and uh, and pull your money out, which is kind of nice. Uh, and it does sound a little more believable, which is the one thing that Neo and B wasn't doing. I mean, there is a point that they're not handling the volatility. Um, you're already saying, hey, sell these Bitcoins at whatever the market rate is. And then just, you know, uh, just go ahead and uh, and have the money available. Yeah, no, that I think makes a lot more sense than the new and B uh, business model. Maybe one more thing to mention there was also that they had these really grand plans. You know, they wanted to do all those things like a point of sale system, bank accounts, EuroLink bank accounts, debit card, kind of all at once, or you know, maybe in some sequences, but really grand plans without having done anything. So perhaps starting somewhere you know, building up, maybe starting with one service like this and then going from there is a more sensible approach. Yeah. Well, that's always a surefire giveaway too. I mean, if, if, uh, I mean, I look at a company like, uh, a Kraken is a good example for me where, uh, not only is Kraken, uh, or Kraken, I should say, uh, they've done a good job because it's a U.S. company. Um, I think what they're based out of San Francisco, but uh, you can't even use them. At least I wasn't last I checked able to use them in California because they're very specific. You know, they're, they're actually following the laws, and that's one thing Bitcoin's got to be really careful of right now is is not to break laws. And so it's it's anytime someone says, "Hey, we can do everything in every country," that kind of throws a flag up for me. You know, you're like, you know, it's just knowing the laws is one thing. You know, it's so it's a it's a challenge. You know. So do we think that because it always this always amazes me is that you know the the media you know, media I'm using air quotes but like the bitcoin media would kind of portray this as uh, as fraud and which you know it may be but do we think that this is something deliberate like they started this company you know, with the intention of leaving with the money or like it, that seems so crazy to me that somebody would say like okay let's start this company build these stores and everything but it's all like it's all a scam it I does mean, it, sound like a crazy plan. I don't, no, I don't know. it sounds like a crazy yeah. plan, or is this like there, there, there's, there's something that we're missing here, right? It, I don't think that it's so like black and white. Like you know, there are these crooks that are wearing ski masks and yeah. <laughs> no, I a more likely scenario to me would sound that this guy maybe was just a bit delusional, had his like really grand plans. We really actually believed they were going to work out, and then maybe something started failing a bit, and you know they just moved on anyway made bigger claims try to raise more money and somehow like get out of that mess and then i guess perhaps when he saw it wasn't working just dumped the stock and left and so it sounds like we're like, talking i'm gonna leave the sinking ship first uh, of course it's speculation but that sounds like a, a more likely scenario to me i agree that uh i knew that he had this grand master plan from the start 
sounds not that likely, especially because the guy is known, right? People know his face, know his name, where he's from. So that seems like a very dangerous place because obviously he doesn't have a lot of friends now. And I think he can certainly forget doing anything ever again with a Bitcoin related. Joel, you're saying? Yeah, I, I agree. No, and I, I mean, for, for just half a moment there, I wasn't sure if we were talking about uh, Neon B or Mount Gox because it sounded so similar. But uh, I, I think a lot of times, you know, that's when people get uh, a little over uh, over their head and uh, they don't plan on staying on the money. But uh, once they see that there's an exit solution that involves them getting rich, uh, greed is a powerful thing. And, uh, let's just be clear, like for the time being, we don't know if he has any of the funds or not. Uh, yeah, we, we you, don't know. Yeah. Who are we talking about right now? Which, which person? Me and B. <laughs> oh, everybody. Yeah. Uh, also, Mark yeah. Carpellas. <laughs> That's yeah, still yeah, unclear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure I, I would doubt that he went into it completely malicious. I mean, that's that's one heck of a con job if, mm. uh, with regards to Neon B. It's one heck of a con job if he went in completely malicious. I, I would think that it's uh, the later, you know, who, who knows really what happened. But, uh, if it doesn't completely crash and it's not completely public about the crash, if the crashes, there's a lot of wonder and a lot of secrecy around it. Um, I don't think it's too much to assume, not necessarily the worst, but just the uh, most likely scenario. What so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so let's throw in this question here. Do we have a problem here? Why is this keep, why does this keep happening with Bitcoin companies? And we have Mt. Cox, these guys, there's so many other examples of that. Uh, what's going on here? Is this is this just because there is money involved? Because people tend to have access to people's funds, which is not the case with other starters that it corrupts people. Do they just take it because they can, uh, or do we have particularly irresponsible people entering the Bitcoin space? Like a lot of I don't know. What's can someone help me here? What's going on? I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix of inexperience and money. You know, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 the money causes a little bit of greed, but also the inexperience for getting in over your head. I, I think seeing that, uh, like what's happening in the Silicon Valley right now and seeing large amounts of money being thrown from uh, VC capital people into, uh, say, Coinbase or BitPay or any of that, not only comes uh, with a lot of money, comes a lot of responsibility, too, to uh, to investors and, uh, you know, shareholders. So it, I, I think that's a good thing. I think if you see... More funds coming in, you see more legit companies. What you get, you know, more experience besides the dollars that come in, you get actual advisors that uh, guide the company in the right way. You know, so it, I think it's a great thing. So we may have a case where there's just a disproportionate number of inexperienced people, you know, entering the Bitcoin space and just starting this grand thing, which maybe we have less in other areas, or if it happens in other areas, there's less damage because the company just collapses, whereas here, hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, people's money. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of new money in Bitcoin too. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people in the community that, uh, uh, have a little more, uh, a little more to invest than they've had before. And probably they're a little more careless than some of the old money that's out there in the world. Um, you know, there's, uh, 
a lot of people aren't watching their money as much, I think, from an investor side, but then also on an entrepreneurial side. I think the barrier to entry is low on a lot of web businesses. And uh, it, it's just a little easy to, to get caught up, uh, you know, with, uh, with your hand in the cookie jar a little bit. Yeah. Also, let's just keep in mind that this sort of thing also happens in non-Bitcoin startups, right? You know, I mean, startups sure. go up and go down all the, you know, come up and, 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 and disappear all the time. Uh, this is just the first time where it's been so easy to, I guess, start a company that's uh, involved and so entangled with people's money. Um, uh, And, and so I think this is why it's, you know, we're giving it such, such attention and it's it's gaining such attention. Yeah. But it is, it is a serious problem. I think we have here and it's something that just is very important that it gets solved. It also, I think one thing I notice is when you read, um, newspaper news coverage so in mainstream media about bitcoin the tone has changed now i think since the mount gox disaster it's much you know you read often it starts like the controversial cryptocurrency or it, it often is prefaced at the moment of that whereas uh, just before the mount gox uh, disaster and you know during that all price in november the spike etc it was much more positive I mean, it's, it's still, you know, it's mixed now. Some is uh, very positive and some is mixed and some is, it's certainly more intelligent than six months ago. But there's a, uh, quite a lot of tones now that pick up on those cases of fraud and disaster. So it's, I think it's a, it's a problem for Bitcoin. Of course, it's a problem for those people who lose their money. Yeah, and and, uh, and then I think also there's a there's a problem of representation and communication, right? So the media um, has a hard time understanding uh, what is actually going on and have very little knowledge about Bitcoin, and there's nobody really there to represent the Bitcoin communities, and this is what you know associations like the French Bitcoin Association or the German Association or the Australian Association can do. This is the work that that these uh, players in the community need to do is uh, be uh, be the source of uh, relevant information uh, when it comes to these kind of things. Absolutely. So let's hope that Spender.io is going to fix this mess and uh, <laughs> a bright future is ahead of us, no? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that is a, 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 a bit large statement. I wouldn't expect Spender to keep any exchanges uh, audited or anything of that sort. Um, I know there's, there's a level of transparency that'd be good for some of the bigger things. But no, absolutely. I mean, if, if, if I can at least help uh, one guy not get ripped off, I'm going to feel good about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this is uh, a good, it's a, actually an interesting question, like how this probably be solved because, um, spender of course can help, but it's it really what you need is to have, not to have to trust those companies so much. So, you know, even if like, for example, spender would help that, you know, who is more trustworthy, the problem is with trust in the first place, especially if it's, new startups and it's about your money so i don't know if maybe multi-sig or things like that would help in diminishing the amount of trust that's required for that yep absolutely you know and uh we've even toyed with the idea of possibly going into uh 
more of an escrow kind of thing as well. But I, I think multi-sigs could do a better job with that. And I think that's something that would be even better to be automated and, uh, and decentralized as well. Something a little more uh, built onto the blockchain maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I think if nothing else, at least knowing that the four people in front of you had a really bad experience before you go somewhere would not be a bad thing. And also knowing if someone had some great food at a restaurant before you got there is a good thing too. So it, uh, yep, that's, that's, uh, that's our vision, I guess you would say. And as Bitcoin gains more traction and, and becomes more mainstream, I guess, um, what do you think, uh, what do you think you know, players like Yelp and, and others will play and, um, giving this kind of service also? I mean, don't you think that, uh, at some point, um, they yeah, can also no, become yeah, competition yeah. for you. I, I I just saw on Reddit uh, what uh, about two days ago. I just saw that uh, uh, Yelp had a little thing that said uh, accepts Bitcoin, something to that effect. And I, I didn't actually go and and research it out myself, or even go to Yelp and look if that was true. You know, I didn't actually take take a peek. Um, and sure, no, I mean that's uh, good though. I mean, if they do that, it just kind of validates my idea. And as long as it's getting done, I'm, I, I, I tell you, I, that's that's great. You know, I'm I'm not a I think the main reasons happening was not for me to get rich more than it just needed to be done. Um, you know, and, and I, like I say, I've used some of the other sites and there's definitely some other folks out there kind of doing it. Just nobody seemed to be doing it perfect. You know, everything either seemed like a, a lacking user experience or missing a couple features that I would like to see there or, uh, you know, just not quite what I have visioned, I guess. So, but if, if Yelp, yeah, Yelp, Yelp may do it. And that just kind of validates my idea a little bit, I guess. Yeah, spoken okay. spoken with like a true passionate visionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, but I, I think it's I think it's really uh, uh, important the work that you're doing, but that uh, you know the the you're you're doing it for the right reasons. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. You're that's a noble I, man, Joel. You're a no, you're yeah. a gentleman <laughs> and a scholar. <laughs> yes, that's, yes, that's uh, all for the love of the coin. That's all I can say for the love of the coin. Yeah. Okay, well, well, I think we've covered this one, no? Yeah, <laughs> we, we may come back yeah. to it next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll find out. Perhaps we'll get some uh, Instagram feed of him sitting in a Dogecoin rented villa somewhere in the Caribbean, <laughs> with surrounded by uh, three uh, bikini models and uh, a huge pina colada in his hand. Then we know where where the money went. <laughs> no, but I, I think that you know. If we relate back to Mount Gox, like when we first started talking about Mount Gox, Brian, uh, this was uh, on February, early February when we were at the conference, and then how that story evolved. Like if you look at you know what we knew at the beginning and what we thought was actually happening in, at the beginning, which was like transaction malleability, and then at the end, which was just like this guy's a total like whatever, he's <laughs> just mm-hmm. uh, uh, incompetent. Um, Let's uh, let's keep our minds open, I guess, to uh, other possibilities because you know this might not seem be what it seems to be. Uh, uh, I don't think yeah, we should make conclusions true, true. right now. Yeah, uh, no, I also think we should start a new podcast this week in Bitcoin fraud and uh, <laughs> you know, just keep the Mt. Gox new and kind of stories for that one, and we will just keep the good news for. Uh, and if people want to listen to that, they can download it. And, but we'll we'll keep episode of Bitcoin for interesting and relevant Bitcoin Bitcoin news. <laughs> like the sidechain proposal, no? Yes, like the sidechain proposal. <laughs> so um, I I met Adam back last 
fall in Amsterdam, kind of randomly. Uh, and I had dinner with him twice. So I, I talked with him like quite extensively, uh, or mo- mostly listened to him, to be honest, <laughs> and like ask some questions. Uh, and it was very fascinating because he just goes off on these topics and it's like extremely mind blowing, even if I could only understand maybe 40% of what he said, but actually quite a lot given that there were very deep topics. So you're talking, so, of course, about uh, Adam Back. I'm talking about Adam Back, who's the creator of Hashcash. Now, Hashcash is uh, the proof of work that Bitcoin is based on. Mm-hmm. So if you if you check out the original Bitcoin paper, you know, there's like eight papers cited or something. So his is one of them. So it's one of the fundamental things that Bitcoin relies on. And he's a, a crypto a cryptographer. Yeah, he's a yeah. cryptographer, a mathematician, computer scientist kind of. Mm. Um and he's come up. There was a, uh, episode on Let's Talk Bitcoin about a proposal. It's kind of called Sidechains. I don't, I think they're going to have a, a better name, an official name soon. And it's super interesting. I, I mentioned it in my newsletter on Friday, although I didn't understand it at the time. Uh, I've read some more about it. I think I sort of understand it. So I would love to cover this and kind of talk about please explain please explain to us (laughs) okay so i I haven't listened to the last topic episode yet so i i've just been reading about it a little bit yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to explain that uh, the way i understand it so there are all those ideas to extend bitcoin to make it more to make you know bitcoin 2.0 have contract languages like ethereum or some kind of colored coin asset properties all those things and uh, those are not so possible with Bitcoin or to an extent, you know, the, the scripting features are partially turned off. And um, so that's why we see all those other projects like MasterCoin, Ethereum, uh, ProtoShares, Next, Counterparty, uh, and all those others that they are. Um, and now it's the proposal that Adam Back and the other guy he's doing this with is a guy named Austin Hill, who apparently I didn't know about him. He has quite a history in cryptography and entrepreneurship. So what they're proposing is that you could basically allow the creation of new coins uh, with these features, but using the same monetary basis Bitcoin. So... Uh, just maybe briefly why this is interesting and why this is important. We talked with, uh, on the episode when we had Jonathan on, we talked about the whole idea that uh, altcoins can undermine this idea of a scarcity, of digital scarcity. Because if you have 21 million Bitcoins, but then you also have, I don't know how many billion Dogecoins that you can use for the same thing. Can you really say that Bitcoin is still so scarce? Or that wouldn't you have to look at as a cryptocurrency thing? Um, so that seems to be a primary concern by Adam Back. And the whole idea is that now you can have, you have your 21 million Bitcoins. Now someone can start a sidechain and implement something like Ethereum, for example. And then if I want to use that, I can basically move my Bitcoin into that sidechain, use the features of that sidechain, and whenever I feel like, I can move them back to Bitcoin. Um, so the point of that would be that the same 21 million Bitcoin would be uh, kind of the tokens used, the foundational tokens for all of those 
coins and all of those altcoins with different features, etc. Uh, so it's very interesting. So this implies a fundamental uh, change to the protocol, right? I, I think mean- only a minor one. I don't. So uh, technically, the way this would work is the following. So I would, I would spend. I would put my Bitcoin using some kind of script, like a complicated script, and it would be suspended. So I couldn't use it, but it would be in some kind of, um, you know, one can, for example, send Bitcoins to an invalid address. So now here it would be spending it to a script where it's suspended for some time. And now my proof that I, that I suspended my Bitcoin then creates an issuance in that sidechain. So now I have one Bitcoin equivalent in the sidechain. Um, so now I can use that there. And then my uns- my suspended Bitcoin would be released if I send the currency in the sidechain to an unspendable address. Does that make sense? Um, I'm sure it makes sense. I just... <laughs> uh... So yeah, right, you you can you can so send. How, 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 so you you send you send your bitcoins to this uh, unspendable address, and that that serves as the proof for you to get uh, currency in the sidechain, and then you can send money in the sidechain. Of course, you can destroy bitcoins, right? You can mm-hmm. destroy cryptocurrency by sending it to an address for which no private key exists, and you can prove that too. So. Uh, the idea is that you basically kind of suspend your Bitcoin. Uh, then the sidechain checks that the Bitcoin is suspended. It gives you uh, one money in that sidechain. And when you prove that you've destroyed the money in the sidechain, you get your Bitcoin back. That's, so that's my, the basic idea. Yeah, my, my curiosity comes on the pricing of, uh, you know, of course, Bitcoin and Litecoin tend to follow each other. I should say Litecoin tends to follow the price of Bitcoin quite a bit. Um, if this was done, like let's say, uh, let's use uh, Doge as uh, as as the side coin that you're attaching it to. Um, if you took your Bitcoin, and I assume uh, this needs to be the the coins you're attaching it to needs to be fairly linear. You wouldn't attach one Bitcoin to one Doge coin, right? I assume it's going to be something a little more linear. Does that then, like, if the price of Dogecoin goes up a bit, while well, the price of Bitcoin goes down a little bit, would you have to destroy it and then no, it's always. It to- it's always going to be pegged because okay. so I mean the with- units don't matter, right? So I mean Dogecoin is different. It's not going to happen with Dogecoin, right? But let's say we do we start, uh, I don't know, Beta Coin or something. I think that's actually example in some of the conversation. So let's say we okay. started Beta Coin, and now I I suspend my Bitcoin. I get a hundred Beta Coin, for example, or one Beta Coin. It doesn't matter. But some fixed amount. Now that. Exchange rate is always going to be the same because at any time I can go back and I can get my Bitcoin back for a hundred beta coin, but not more. And at any point, anyone else could get a hundred beta coin using one Bitcoin. So this is a fixed exchange rate. Okay. So it would basically allow you to take features from another coin right now and then augment the features on Bitcoin. But this coin would be created basically to marry to Bitcoin. Is that correct? I mean, to marry as a side coin, it wouldn't be really used for too many other things i guess i think creates- you, you could do any so you could do anything like let's say anything that mastercoin does or all those features you could implement on a side chain but mm-hmm. the main the main point here 
is that you don't create a new altcoin. You don't create a new, uh, a new there's blockchain. no mining. Yeah. There's, uh, there's no like new issuance to a bunch of like Ethereum. It's not like a bunch of founders are going to get their money, etc. But you mm-hmm. basically are able to take your Bitcoin, uh, take it onto that side chain and just use all those features there and then take it back when you want to without having any approval, right? No, they don't have to, uh, agree with you to take it back. They don't have to agree that you take it over. It's completely trustless. And anybody can create these, these side chains, um, much like today, anybody can create a, an altcoin. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and, and so, 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 so essentially the, you would use then, uh, the scripting language to create Specific feature side chains, much like today we're creating spe- feature specific altcoins. Only right. we're using the Bitcoin blockchain and network and mining power um, to run that. I think you would have a, some kind of merged mining mm-hmm. uh, for the transaction verification. I honestly don't understand how they could do different transaction, different confirmation times or block times, but apparently it's possible. Okay. Um, so what's the what's the interest about it? So the interest is uh, scalability. It's uh, what, 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 why is it being proposed? So I think the interest there, there's a few things, right? So one point is that Bitcoin is developing slowly, right? The core protocol, and that's because we have to be very conservative. If there's something that messes up Bitcoin, well, that would be disaster. So, uh, you know, the core developers, like new features, they're not being like added quickly to test things, etc. So these, those go to altcoins. Um, so the idea is to kind of bring those, to use the same monetary base to, to do all those things. Um, so essentially the idea is to take all that innovation that's happening in altcoins and kind of bring it back to Bitcoin. And uh, if we think of the Bitcoin price, this is very dramatic implications. So if Ethereum, for example, becomes uh, prevalent for all kinds of financial derivatives, etc., then that will have a huge effect on the currency Ether because that's used for that. So you, you would like take all the transaction volume, you'd look at like how much Ether is needed to do that, and then it would imply a certain price for Ether. Uh, but if that was impl- implemented on a sidechain, then you would, would need to use the same 21 million to do all that stuff too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it has huge implications uh, for the value of Bitcoin. And Okay, so it has huge implications. I understand that it could have huge implications for the value of Bitcoin. But um, what about uh, the amount of bitcoins? Because you said a while ago that you know we would you you would essentially be destroying bitcoins every time you, you move them into a side chain. They're um, suspending them, not destroying them. You can get them back oh, when you okay. move your money back. Okay. I, I guess the risk the risk would be, let's say you move your money to a side chain and then on the side chain uh, you get hacked, or maybe your money gets stolen. Someone else can take back your bitcoin in the real bitcoin chain. Or if maybe something goes horribly wrong in the sidechain, it could be that you can't destroy your Bitcoin anymore to to uh, deliver the proof to, you know, unsuspend your Bitcoin. So so that's the risk, but it's it's very limited. I think it's only the risk is only is, is the small security risk is only to those Bitcoins that are suspended. Okay. 
What are your thoughts on this, Joel? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not fully clear on it yet. I, I, I've done a little bit of reading uh, on it, although I'm curious to see how it'll be implemented. Um, I, I've seen some people discussing uh, if there could be possible uh, attacks uh, if someone wanted to, uh, like if you had a large mining pool, um, could they try and attack another currency by not doing, you know, not using that portion of the protocol? And and I haven't seen a really clear answer yet. And these are all questions that are still up in the air. It's nothing that I would expect either of you guys to answer by any means. But uh, I'm curious to see how it'll be implemented. I mean, it's, it's definitely on one on one hand, it's it's a good thing, uh, you know, being able to uh, use all. There's definitely advantages to some altcoins. So having other altcoins uh, features is is definitely a plus. Uh, although if it causes even more confusion and it makes it even harder for some people to use Bitcoin, maybe there could be some negatives in it as well. So I, I guess I got mixed feelings on, on, on side chains right now. Yeah. Well, like you said, I, I'm not very well versed on it also. I just read about it very briefly and, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to listen to that LTB episode, uh, right after this. But, um, to me, it, I think that in terms of Bitcoin as a platform, it, it helps because it, it allows other things to be created on the protocol and it kind of keeps everything. I had mixed views about this, but now that I think about it, like, I think that keeping everything on one single protocol is a good idea and not having like multiple, uh, blockchains. Um, it gives more legitimacy to Bitcoin itself. Now, also on the long term, like it, it helps the platform be uh it helps the platform develop itself as to something more than just currency right which is kind of the problem now yeah so i mean i personally i, I like this proposal so i like i think what i also like is how easy it would be to go to move from one to the other currency you know now uh, realistically you have to go to an exchange right so if you want bitcoin you want to you say but I have some Bitcoins, but now I need to use this feature for which I use MasterCoin. Okay, this doesn't happen today, right? There's no like real practical features any of those Bitcoin 2.0 coins uh, have. But in the future, hopefully, that will be the case. Uh, So let's say you have Bitcoins, but now you want to buy some kind of derivative or God knows what. And now you'd have to go to an exchange to to trade that. And it's it's kind of... it's not as neat as this. This is literally trustless one transaction and, and it's done. It's, it's, I think it's really nice how, how you have this, this kind of direct link between the different, between the different systems. So I, I like that. And maybe well, one over- thing. Yeah. Well, I was going to say overall, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think having options is a good thing. I, I think that, uh, seeing how it gets implemented will determine how useful it is. Um, you know, if, if it, this causes a bunch of people trying to start and use different wallets and, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, if I go to the local grocery store and I got to figure out exactly what currency they're taking, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing, but, but having options is definitely a good thing. And when we're talking about, uh, autonomous corporations and you're talking about, uh, Ethereum coming out and a lot of things they want to build in. Yeah. I could definitely see some, some good stuff there. Definitely. Uh, maybe one thing I, I want to mention as well. And which is quite tricky here. So if you look, if you think of the financial motivation in starting Ethereum or all those things, it tends to be that the people starting that have a huge interest in the success of that. 
because they, you know, like let's say the example of Ethereum, because they're going to give themselves part of the monetary supply. So if it's successful, they'll become rich. Um, and they become rich because the tokens used on the platform become valuable. Now, if you look at the sidechain, sidechain thing, that's not going to be the case so much. So essentially, if a sidechain is going to become hugely valuable, uh, the main value is going to be uh, kind of realized in an increase of the Bitcoin price. So I think what's interesting too is if you think about the, the financial incentives, of the developers. So I think those uh, will actually be less, there will be less an incentive, there will be less the possibility to kind of get rich quick uh, developing sidechain things than altcoins. Well, and that kind of goes back to mining. Um, you know, assuming the sidechains are directly mining off the Bitcoin network, um, then I understand how they'll function. But if, if we're talking about, uh, another coin, you know, I guess with the example of Ethereum, for Ethereum's network to work, I mean, you, you do need to have a whole network of computers that are, that are, you know, running those contracts and, and, and are, you know, running the, the blockchain that is Ethereum. And so now if they're, if the ethers become worth nothing because, you know, there's of the side chain or whichever, um, it, that could be detrimental, I would think, to the Ethereum network. And I, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. Obviously, I, I only know a little bit about Ethereum, uh, but I, I do know that a large portion of what makes Bitcoin valuable is, is, you know, that the computing power and the electricity that's, that's put in to keep that network, you know, keep the network running. So to keep the, the blockchain, you know, the ledger having entries added to it. So yeah. uh, I'm curious to see how they'll coexist, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I think that's another reason why they want to do that is because they say it's wasteful. You know, it's wasteful to start all those other coins when there's been hundreds of millions of dollars invested in the Bitcoin mining infrastructure to help secure that network, you know, why not use the same infrastructure? Sure. So, but, but of course, Joel, I mean, that's a, you know, a very important point. This, we haven't seen anything yet. We don't know how it will look like. I mean, it's a bit like Ethereum or Mastercoin or all those things. You know, we haven't really seen real applications yet that, you know, all, all that promise that those things have hasn't been realized yet. So who knows, you know, maybe, maybe when they try to implement this, it won't go so well. Maybe there will be problems we don't know about. Who knows? Uh, but, um, interesting. Well, so maybe one more thing. Um, I think this will require a protocol change. I guess I suspect it will require a protocol change because of this like suspension scripts. Maybe that's not possible right now. But I think this is actually a protocol change that would be, would go through because it's definitely in the vested interest of Bitcoin miners, et cetera, and Bitcoin holders, uh, to move all this innovation to sidechains versus altcoins. So I think this is something that uh, will, if it's feasible, will almost certainly, uh, you know, and if it doesn't cause other problems, will almost certainly be accepted. Yeah. I think we should probably get Adam back, uh, Adam back on the show to discuss it. Yeah, no, I want to. I'm, I'm going to reach out to him. No, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I, when I was reading about this this morning, I was kind of uh, hesitant about it because to me, everything needs to stay on the, I wasn't, I really didn't understand it that well, but now that, that uh, we've discussed it, it, it seems to me like it's a good thing to keep everything on the Bitcoin uh, network and protocol. And it, you know, of course, helps build more um, 
uh, helps the, uh, the, it can potentially build more features right onto the Bitcoin, uh, protocol. So let's talk about the Square Bitcoin integration. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, so Square, the payment processor, is uh, working on uh, integrating Bitcoin into their uh, payment platform. So I'll, they've already done it for uh, uh, online merchants, and I think they were testing with one merchant. Brian, do you know if they've uh, expanded that beta test to... To other merchants, or is it still just in? Uh, That's in beta? a good question. So no, well, according to their blog post and according to what I read on their website, so you know, their Square primarily is this point of sale system. So it's like a, you know, you have a iPad, tablet app. So if you have a little store, you sell something, you can get that, and it's like a cashier type to accept car payments and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's um, also an online, like, it's also an online uh, payment uh, yeah. system. Yeah. Well, well, no, no, that's, but that's, so. Like, for I instance, don't know I think Squarespace, uh, Squarespace, for instance, uses no. Square in the back, uh, in their back end. Like, okay. that's, the, yeah. Maybe, but, wait, but this is used. So, you know, there's a Square that kind of thing directed at like small merchants mm-hmm. from what I understand yeah and then they have like an e-commerce platform that's a, maybe a bit like mm, some mix between Shopify and Etsy or something like that um, and I think that's also directed at like small local merchants that then can say okay I can make this really easy e-commerce system mm-hmm. so from what I understand uh, and, and Square handles all the payments for that yeah so from what I understand, Bitcoin is simply going to be a payment option on that, which is called Square Market. So on that e-commerce site of Square. And it's going to be turned on by default. So everyone will have it Whoa. unless they go somewhere in the settings and say like, no. But uh, by default, it will be turned on. And when you pay with Bitcoin, they just get dollars. They don't even know if you, if who paid with Bitcoin and who not. Okay. The merchant. So then Bitcoin is really just being used as, as a payment system. This is really interesting because we talked about this with, uh, with, uh, Jaren last week where, uh, you know, his vision of Bitcoin is that, you know, for the average user, you're just paying with dollars and like the transaction that's going through is Bitcoin. So this kind of takes care of one end of it where the user pays with Bitcoin, the merchant gets, gets dollars for, for the, for the merchant. It's, uh, it's completely transparent and, uh, never actually touches Bitcoin, I guess, maybe on, on, unless he wants to and turns that on. Um, but he can't even. He can't. Uh, oh, he can. I mean, that's also one of the criticisms here is that as a merchant, you don't even have the option of getting Bitcoins. Okay. And they're also going to charge their normal transaction fee, which is uh, 2.75%, which of course is very, very high if you compare it to other Bitcoin payment processes like Pay or Coinbase, etc. But maybe they'll change in the future. Well, and they, they partnered with Coinbase, if I, if I memory serves me correct. Uh, and yeah, I think the, that's the, right. But the, the interesting thing, and I, I'm not sure this is how it works yet. I, I do know in San Francisco, there's a lot of mom and pop shops. There's a lot of, uh, non corporate, uh, businesses that you would see using Square. And anytime they're using Square, anytime they have that little, you know, plug-in, uh, dongle that goes into the iPad or whatever they're using, I think you can use it on iPhones as well. Um, if they have that dongle, they obviously have an iPad attached to it that should be able to accept Bitcoins. Uh, and, and there is a Square app that's running on it. So I would think it wouldn't be too difficult for Square to not only, you know, 
change, you know, their, their web cart that, that you were just talking about, but also to enable that app to, to have mom and pop shops everywhere accepting Bitcoin and then converting them to US dollars immediately using, uh, Coinbase. Cause I'm pretty sure that's who they earn up with. Um, and it, it should be a, a good thing for, for Bitcoin acceptance, at least in the US. I don't know how, how widely used they are in Europe. I think uh, not at all. Not at all. No, I don't think they have no. any, um, I don't think they they even exist in Europe. So yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at this. So so effectively, Square Market is a uh, is a platform for local businesses to create uh, websites uh, to sell their products. So essentially, e-commerce websites. So Square takes care of the um, I guess the the platform, and you just kind of put your products up. And more like a Google checkout, I would assume. Sort of something like that. I think it's sort no, of it's more like, that. like it's like a web e-commerce platform. It's oh, okay. more like uh, I don't know, sh- maybe Shopify or something, mm-hmm, but like a, lot, an, a, a lot simpler. Oh, so, oh, oh. for instance, I'm on a I'm on a, a page here. Uh, it's just like kind of like a profile page. So you have like the name of the business, their logo. They've got a banner there, uh, the address, and then like just a page with a few products. Um, so it's very simple. It's very basic. It's not yeah, like, maybe Etsy is a good comparison. Yeah, something like that. Something like Etsy, I guess. Uh, so this enables Bitcoin payment only through that platform. But I guess so. This it's interesting. Uh, I, I I don't think that it's uh, going to enable you know large amounts of Bitcoin uh, payments for local merchants. I think that it does, however, indicate that Square. Um, uh, is favorable to Bitcoin and that their payment solutions that they have on the ground in local businesses may soon or in the near future accept Bitcoin. I think that's where the real potential is, is that when all these mom and pop shops uh, that use the Square uh, checkout system or that use the Square uh, dongle on their iPhones or iPads to accept payments at uh, the local business, when they can now accept Bitcoin right in the Square app, and that they, with a simple click or even by default, have Bitcoin payments enabled in their business. That's when we start seeing, um, you know, people flocking to Bitcoin as a payment system. Yeah, absolutely. I can I completely agree. I think this Square Market thing is, if it wasn't Square behind that website, it wouldn't be interesting, or it wouldn't be that interesting. But because it's Square and because they have this huge, uh, huge customer base. In, in real world shops, that's where the promise is. I completely agree with you. And uh, we shouldn't forget, it's not just mom and pop shops. Uh, Square is also used by uh, Starbucks in the US and by Whole Foods. So two, you know, major, major merchants. So I, I'm pretty hopeful. I, I don't think we will see it, you know, in the next months, but maybe in eight, 10 months or a year or something. It could be that they they turn it on on these point of sale systems, and that would just be fantastic. Well, as a man that's putting together a directory website, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. That'd, <laughs> that'd be great. It give you it would give you a lot of work to add all these. Uh, well, I, I hope they give me an directory. API. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. yeah, I hope you won't have to do that manually. <laughs> <laughs> but if we have to, it'll be done. That's what it comes down to. Now, I guess what's kind of too bad about this is that um, I mean, for for us uh, Europeans, 
people living in Europe is that it's uh, not uh, Square is not available in Europe. And I, I think that there's a real need for that kind of like easy to set up uh, payment solution here. Like getting it, if you want to accept card payments here, um, you you have to get a, a terminal from your bank, and that's not very easy. At least in France, that's how it is. Like for instance, uh, the the uh, place where I work, the tech cluster where I work, um, there's often like food trucks that come in, and they all have their uh, little terminals for taking um, debit and bank cards. And I'm sure they have to go through so many like loops to get that from their bank and they're probably paying like really high fees like of course squares fees are pretty high like yeah they're pretty high compared to uh accepting a credit card through your bank but it's a lot easier to set up and just having options i think is is important so i'd really like them to uh branch out into europe but i think for now the problem is that um uh in contrast to the u.s uh where you have um we, you still use swipe cards. Um, mm-hmm. Europe, you, you have to use uh, chip cards, and I think that's a lot e- harder to implement on a on a dongle that you connect to your iPhone. Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, one of the big, uh, I guess, maybe complaints, if that's the right word for it, out here in Australia that I've seen too. Is out here they do uh, very heavily use NFC. I mean, uh, every seems everywhere has uh, the tap your card instead of swiping yeah. not even using the the chip but actually using the nfc tap and go which is kind of nice and uh uh out here uh, there was a big complaint with google wallet a lot of people want to be able to use the nfc in the google wallet but uh for whatever reason i guess google's not not playing nice or the australian side isn't playing nice i'm not sure who's the culprit is well in, in but, order uh, for that to happen the google has to have a, uh, uh deals with the banks right because the banks yeah. have to agree to uh, have your card um, integrated in uh, into a Google Wallet, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure exactly how that all works, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I'm sure the banks are putting up a front. I mean, I, I, at least here in Europe, I know that uh, they've been quite um, um, upfront about uh, not wanting to bring in. I mean, not upfront, but they've they've, they've been putting up a front to. Solutions like Google Wallet to uh, coming into Europe. Yeah, everybody wants their dollar. That's for sure. Yeah, but uh, no, this is this is good news. I think for visibility and and perhaps adoption. Like I said, I, uh, I think that uh, once Square starts accepting it in uh, in physical locations, then they might get a bit more traction. Then again. If Square is charging 2.75% plus 30 cents or whatever it is uh, per transaction, that's really not a good solution. And in that case, merchants have access to much cheaper solutions. Uh, and I'm not even talking about just having a wallet, but you know, going through companies like BitPay or BIPS or whatever other payment solutions are out there. Um, yeah, and I guess we'll see. I mean, the advantage, of course, of Square is that it's one app, so you can use the same app to accept credit cards or Bitcoin payments, like, assuming they implement it with a point-of-sale system, whereas otherwise, you know, people will have Square for credit cards, maybe, and then BitPay for Bitcoin payments, and uh, that's a bit of a mess. And uh, hopefully in the future, I think that's 
seems likely to me that they would decrease their transaction fee on the Bitcoin side. Um, I would hope least, so. I would hope so, yeah. Because right now it's 2.75% per swipe. So, yeah, that's that's extremely high. <laughs> well, but right, they're coming from the credit card space where this is marginally better than, I think, other solutions. So, uh, of course, they just apply the same rate. I think it, it there's some it makes some sense to me at least for the time being, but I don't think it's sustainable in the long run when people do uh, a significant amount of revenues through Bitcoin. Then you know I think they were gonna say no. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. But it's definitely interesting. So, well, that's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, there's been lots of news this week, and uh, it was really interesting uh, discussing uh, all these stories with uh, you guys. And Joel, thank you so much for coming on and um, and taking part in uh, our 15th episode. Yes. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, so... You'll be back in the U.S. in a few weeks. Yep, absolutely. I'm, I'm back in the U.S. Uh, towards the end of April. Uh, we have a, uh, a beta kind of going on right now. People would like to sign up. Uh, go to uh, spender.io. That's S-P-E-N-D-R.io. And uh, just give us your email address. And we'll uh, make sure to notify you as soon as we're, we're fully live and, uh, be picking a couple few people to help us beta test as well. So, uh, cool. if you get in there fast enough, uh, you can get an early peek at what's going on and, uh, yeah, and going from there. Awesome. And, uh, well, you know, when you're back in the U.S., uh, and after you've launched, let us know and maybe you can come back on and uh, tell us how things are going. Give us an That'd update. That'd be great. I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So- Thank you very much for listening. And uh, if uh, so, we talked about this last week. If you could go ahead and uh, go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. If you could give us honest feedback about how uh, how you like Epicenter Bitcoin, and um, that would really help us uh, for discoverability uh, reasons, of course. And also follow us on Twitter. We're at Epicenter BTC. We're also on Facebook. Uh, you can search for Epicenter Bitcoin. And subscribe to our newsletter. It's at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. It goes out every Friday. Joel, you read it. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I read it and love it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. If you guys haven't signed up, sign up for the newsletter. It's it's uh, it's it's well worth uh, it's well worth the digits or the digital bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and we look forward to being back next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.